Section 9 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the street sellers of sporting dogs. The use, if use it may be styled, of sporting or fighting dogs is now a mere nothing to what it once was. There are many sports, an appellation of many a brute cruelty, which have become extinct, some of them long extinct. Herds of bears, for instance, were once maintained in this country merely to be baited by dogs. It was even a part of royal merrymaking. It was a sport altogether congenial to the spirit of Henry the Eighth, and when his daughter, then Queen Mary, visited her sister Elizabeth at Hatfield House, now the residence of the Marquess of Salisbury, there was a bear-baiting for their delectation, after mass. Queen Elizabeth, on her accession to the throne, seems to have been very partial to the baiting of bears and of bulls, for she not unfrequently welcomed a foreign ambassador with such exhibitions. The historians of the day intimate, they dared do no more, that Elizabeth affected these rough sports the most in the decline of life, when she wished to seem still sprightly, active, and healthful, in the eyes of her courtiers and her subjects. Lanham, whose veracity has not been impeached, though Sir Walter Scott has pronounced him to be as thorough a coxcomb as ever blotted paper, thus describes a bear-bait in presence of the Queen, and after quoting his description, I gladly leave the subject. I make the citation in order to show and contrast the former with the present use of sporting dogs. Quote, it was a sport very pleasant to see the bear, with his pink eyes leering after his enemies, approach, the nimbleness and weight of the dog to take his advantage, and the force and experience of the bear again to avoid his assaults. If he were bitten in one place, how he would pinch in another to get free, that if he were taken once, then by what shift with biting, with clawing, with roaring, and tossing and tumbling, he would work and wind himself from them, and when he was loose, to shake his ears twice or thrice, with the blood and the slaver hanging about his physiognomy. End quote. The suffering which constituted the great delight of the sport was even worse than this in bull-baiting, for the bull gored or tossed the dogs to death more frequently than the bear worried or crushed them. The principal place for the carrying on of these barbarities was at Paris Garden, not far from St. Saviour's Church, Southwark. The clamour and wrangling and reviling, with and without blows, at these places, gave a proverbial expression to the language. The place was like a bear garden, for gardens they were called. These pastimes beguiled the Sunday afternoons more than any other time, and were among the chief delights of the people, until, writes Dr. Henry, collating the opinions of the historians of the day, until the refined amusements of the drama, possessing themselves by degrees of the public taste, if they did not mend the morals of the age, at least forced brutal barbarity to quit the stage. Of this sport, in Queen Anne's days, Strutt's industry has collected advertisements telling of bear and bull-baiting at Hockley in the Hole, and Tuttlefields, Westminster, and of dog-fights at the same place. Marleybone was another locality, famous for these pastimes, and for its breed of mastiffs, 
which dogs were most used for baiting the bears, whilst bulldogs were the antagonists of the bull. Gay, who was a sufficiently close observer, and a close observer of street life too, as is well shown in his trivia, specifies these localities in one of his fables. Quote, Both Hockley Hole and Mary Bone, the combats of my dog have known. End quote. Hockley Hole was not far from Smithfield Market. In the same localities, the practice of these sports lingered, becoming less and less every year, until about the middle of the last century. In the country, bull-baiting was practised twenty times more commonly than bear-baiting, for bulls were plentiful and bears were not. There are perhaps none of our older country towns without the relic of its bull-ring, a strong iron ring inserted into a large stone in the pavement to which the baited bull was tied, or a knowledge of the site where the bull-ring was. The deeds of the baiting dogs were long talked of by the vulgar. These sports, and the dog-fights, maintained the great demand for sporting dogs in former times. The only sporting dogs now in request, apart of course from hunting and shooting, remnants of the old barbarous delight in torture or slaughter, for I am treating only of the street trade to which foxhounds, harriers, pointers, setters, cockers, and so on and so on, are unknown, are terriers and bull-terriers. Bulldogs cannot now be classed as sporting, but only as fancy dogs, for they are not good fighters, I was informed, one with another, their mouths being too small. The way in which the sale of sporting dogs is connected with street traffic is in this wise. Occasionally, a sporting dog is offered for sale in the streets, and then, of course, the trade is direct. At other times, gentlemen buying or pricing the smaller dogs ask the cost of a bulldog, or a bull-terrier, or rat-terrier, and the street-seller at once offers to supply them, and either conducts them to a dog-dealer's, with whom he may be commercially connected, and where they can purchase those dogs, or he waits upon them at their residences with some likely animals. A dog-dealer told me that he hardly knew what made many gentlemen so fond of bulldogs, and they were, the fonder on them, the more blackguarder and varmint-looking the creature was. Although now they were useless for sport, and the great praise of a bulldog, never flew but at head in his life, was no longer to be given to him, as there were no bulls at whose head he could now fly. Another dog-dealer informed me, with what truth as to the judgment concerning horses I do not know, but no doubt with accuracy as to the purchase of the dogs, that Ibrahim Pacha, when in London, thought little of the horses which he saw, but was delighted with the bulldogs. "'And he weren't so very unlike one in the face hisself,' was said at the time by some of the fancy. Ibrahim, it seems, bought two of the finest and largest bulldogs in London, of Bill George, giving no less than seventy pounds for the twain. The bulldogs now sold by the street folk, or through their agency in the way I have described, are from five pounds to twenty-five pounds each. The bull-terriers, of the best blood, are about the same price, or perhaps ten to fifteen per cent lower, and rarely attaining the tip-top price. The bull-terriers, as I have stated, are now the chief fighting dogs, but the patrons of those combats, of those small imitations of the savage tastes of the Roman Colosseum, may deplore the decay of the amusement 
from the beginning until well on to the termination of the last century, it was not uncommon to see announcements of twenty dogs to fight for a collar, though such advertisements were far more common at the commencement than towards the close of the century. Until within these twelve years, indeed, dog matches were not unfrequent in London, and the favourite time for the regalement was on Sunday mornings. There were dog-pits in Westminster and elsewhere, to which the admission was not very easy, for only known persons were allowed to enter. The expense was considerable, the risk of punishment was not a trifle, and it is evident that this Sunday game was not supported by the poor or working classes. Now dog-fights are rare. There's not any public dog-fights, I was told, and very seldom any in a pit at a public house, but there's a good deal of it, I know, at the private houses of the knobs. I may observe that the knobs is a common designation for the rich among these sporting people. There are, however, occasionally dog-fights in a sporting house, and the order of the combat is thus described to me. Quote, we'll say now that it's a scratch-fight. Two dogs have each their corner of a pit, and they're set to fight. They'll fight on till they go down together, and then if one leave hold, he's sponged. Then they fight again. If a dog has the worst of it, he mustn't be picked up, but if he gets into his corner, then he can stay for as long as may be agreed upon, minute or half-minute time, or more than a minute. If a dog won't go to the scratch out of his corner, he loses the fight. If they fight on, why, to settle it, one must be killed, though that very seldom happens, for if a dog's very much punished, he creeps to his corner and don't come out to time, and so the fight's settled. Sometimes it's agreed beforehand that the master of a dog may give in for him. Sometimes that isn't to be allowed. But there's next to nothing of this now, unless it's in private among the knobs. It has been said that a sportsman, perhaps in the relations of life a benevolent man, when he has failed to kill a grouse or pheasant outright, and proceeds to grasp the fluttering and agonised bird and smash its skull against the barrel of his gun, reconciles himself to the sufferings he inflicts by the pride of art, the consciousness of skill that has brought down his bird at a long shot, that too when he cares nothing for the possession of the bird. The same feeling hardens him against the most piteous, woman-like cry of the hare, so shot that it cannot run. Be this as it may, it cannot be urged that in matching a favourite dog there can be any such feeling to destroy the sympathy. The men who thus amuse themselves are then utterly insensible to any pang at the infliction of pain upon animals, witnessing the affliction of it merely for a passing excitement. And in this insensibility the whole race who cater to such recreations of the wealthy, as well as the wealthy themselves, participate. There is another feeling too at work, and one proper to the sporting character. Every man of this class considers the glories of his horse or his dog his own, a feeling very dear to selfishness. The main sport now, however, in which dogs are the agents, is rat hunting. It is called hunting, but as the rats are all confined in a pit, it is more like mere killing. Of this sport I have given some account under the head of rat-catching. The dogs used are all terriers, and are often the property of the street-sellers. The most accomplished of this terrier race was the famous dog Billy, the Eclipse of the Rat Pit. 
he is now enshrined for a stuffed carcass is all that remains of billy in a case in the possession of charlie hislop of the seven bells behind st giles church with whom billy lived and died his great feat was that he killed one hundred rats in five minutes i understand however that it is still a moot point in the sporting world whether billy did or did not exceed the five minutes by a very few seconds a merely average terrier will easily kill fifty rats in a pit in eight minutes, but many far exceed such a number. One dealer told me that he would back a terrier bitch which did not weigh twelve pounds to kill a hundred rats in six minutes. The price of these dogs ranges with that of the bull terriers. The passion for rat hunting is evidently on the increase and seems to have attained the popularity once vouchsafed to cockfighting. There are now about 70 regular pits in London, besides a few that are run up for temporary purposes. The landlord of a house in the borough, familiar with these sports, told me that they would soon have to breed rats for a sufficient supply. But it is not for the encounter with dogs alone, the issue being that so many rats shall be killed in a given time, that these vermin are becoming a trade commodity. Another use for them is announced in the following card a ferret match a rare evening sport for the fancy will take place at the blank blank street new road on tuesday evening next may twenty seventh mr blank has backed his ferret against mr w b s ferret to kill six rats each for ten shillings a side he is still open to match his ferret for one pound to five pounds to kill against any other ferret in london Two other matches with terriers will come off the same evening. Matches take place every blank evening. Rats always on hand for the accommodation of gentlemen to try their dogs. Under the management of blank. As a rat killer, a ferret is not to be compared to a dog, but his use is to kill rats in holes, inaccessible to dogs, or to drive the vermin out of their holes into some open space where they can be destroyed. Ferrets are worth from £1 to £4. They are not animals of street sale. The management of these sports is principally in the hands of the street dog sellers, as indeed is the dog trade generally. They are the breeders, dealers and sellers. They are compelled, as it were, to exhibit their dogs in the streets, that they may attract the attention of the rich, who would not seek them in their homes in the suburbs. The evening business in rat hunting and so on, for such it is principally, perhaps doubles the incomes I have specified as earned merely by street sale. The amount turned over in the trade in sporting dogs yearly in London was computed for me by one of the traders at from £12,000 to £15,000. He could not, however, lay down any very precise statistics, as some bulldogs, bull terriers and so on, were bred by butchers, tanners, publicans, horse-dealers and others, and disposed of privately. In my account of the former condition of the dog-trade, I had to dwell principally on the stealing and restoring of dogs. This is now the least part of the subject. The alteration in the law, consequent upon the parliamentary inquiry, soon wrought a great change, especially the enactment of the sixth section in the Act of the 8th and ninth Reign of Victoria, Chapter 47. Quote, any person who shall corruptly take any money or reward, directly or indirectly, 
under pretence or upon account of aiding any person to recover any dog which shall have been stolen or which shall be in the possession of any person not being the owner thereof shall be guilty of a misdemeanour and punishable accordingly there may now i am informed be half a dozen fellows who make a precarious living by dog stealing these men generally keep out of the way of the street dog sellers who would not scruple they assure me to denounce their practices as the more security a purchaser feels in the property and possession of a dog the better it is for the regular business one of these dog stealers dressed like a lime burner they generally appear as mechanics was lately seen to attempt the enticing away of a dog any idle good-for-nothing fellow slinking about the streets would also i was informed seize any stray dog within his reach and sell it for any trifle he could obtain one dealer told me that there might still be a little doing in the restoring way and with that way of life were still mixed up names which figured in the parliamentary inquiry but it was a mere nothing to what it was formerly from a man acquainted with the dog business i had the following account my informant was not at present connected with the dog and rat business but he seemed to have what is called a hankering after it he had been a pot-boy in his youth and had assisted at the bar of public houses and so had acquired a taste for sporting as some fancy coves were among the frequenters of the tap-room and skittle-ground he had speculated a little in dogs which a friend reared and he sold to the public-house customers at last i went slap into the dog trade he said but i did no good at all there's a way to do it i dare say or perhaps you must wait to get known but then you may starve as you wait i tried smithfield first it's a good bit since but i can't say how long and i had a couple of tidy little terriers that we'd bred i thought i'd begin cheap to turn over money quick so i asked twelve shillings a piece for them oh in course they weren't a wery pure sort but i couldn't sell at all if a grazier or a butcher or anybody looked at them and asked their figure they'd say twelve shillings a dog what ain't worth more nor twelve shillings ain't worth a damn i asked one gent a sovereign but there was a lad near that sung out why you only asked twelve shillings a bit since ain't you a coming it after that i was glad to get away i had five dogs when i started and about one pound eight shillings sixpence in money and some middling clothes but my money soon went for i could do no business and there was the rent and then the dogs must be properly fed or they'd soon show it at last when things grew uncommon taper i almost grudged the poor things their meat and their sop for they were filling their bellies and i was an ungring i got so seedy too that it was no use trying the streets for any one would think i'd stole the dogs so i sold them one by one i think i got about five shillings apiece for them for people took their advantage on me after that i fasted oft enough i helped about the pits and looked out for jobs of any kind cleaning knives and spittoons at a public house and such like for a bite and sup and i sometimes got leave to sit up all night in a stable or any outhouse with a live rat trap that i could always borrow and catch rats to sell to the dealers if i could get three lively rats in a night it was good work for it was as good as a shilling to me i sometimes won a pint or a tanner when i could cover it by betting on a rat hunt with helpers like myself 
but it was only a few places we were let into, just where I was known, cause I'm a good judge of a dog, you see, and if I had it to try over again, I think I could knock a tidy living out of dog-selling. Yes, I'd like to try well enough, but it's no use trying if you haven't a fairish bit of money. I'd only myself to keep all this time, but that was one too many. I got leave to sleep in haylofts or stables or anywhere, and I have slept in the park. I don't know how many months I was living this way. I got not to mind it much at last. Then I got to carry out the day and night beers for a potman what had hurt his foot and couldn't walk quick and long enough for supplying his beer, as there was five rounds every day. He lent me an apron and a jacket to be decent. After that I got a potsman's situation. No, I'm not much in the dog and rat line now, and I don't see much of it, for I've very little opportunity. But I've a very nice Scotch terrier to sell, if you should be wanting such a thing, or hear of any of your friends wanting one. It's dirt cheap at thirty shillings, just about a year old. Yes, I generally has a dog, and swaps and sells. Most masters allows that, in a quiet, respectable way. End, quote. End of section 9